There we go. As Matt mentioned, this is the final lesson in Romans for us. Uh, we're going to cover a lot of scripture. We're not going to read all the scripture this morning for sake of time. Um, and uh, that, that'll, if you'll read, if you haven't read, uh, go back and read uh, the last two chapters. We'll begin in verse 7 of chapter 15. But if you go back, you'll understand which uh, a lot of it, and I, and please. Don't take this the wrong way, but a lot of this is uh, Paul sending greetings and recognition to different church members. I don't see a lot of benefit to us reading that in class, though it is necessary and it is important and it's a great study. And we'll make some comments about that when we get to it. But chapter 15 and 16 represent the conclusion of Paul's epistle to the church at Rome. And he takes time, though he writes it to the entire church body, he takes time to salute certain per persons specifically. Uh, and in the, but in the midst of that, Paul being the, the teacher that he is, it, it's almost like he remembered uh, some oh yeah stuff. The, one more thing I want to tell you, one more thing I want to warn you about before I conclude. And so we'll see some of those lessons as well. But he brings it all to a, a culmination, if you will, everything that we've studied. And when we get to the end, I hope that we have enough time. There's a little, I wrote a little synopsis of just the topics that were covered in the entire book of Romans. So we've done, obviously, 27 lessons in the book of Rome, uh, or Romans. And does anybody know how many months have we been in Romans? It's been two or three, something like that. I think we were six months or 18 months, something crazy in Matthew. Romans has gone by a little quicker, which surprised me a little bit. But it's been a good study, and I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And I hope that you have as well. Uh, but let's just go ahead and, and get into the lesson. And the first point, verses 1 through or one through 7, shouldn't be 1 through 7, should be 7 through 13. Uh, he talks about, and he instructs the church to glorify God together. And let's read those verses to get us started. Verses 7 through 13. Therefore receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Now note that as it is written in verse 9. And then he's going to give several references in the Old Testament to the, the Gentiles. And, and I think he, you know, this is a thing that carries on throughout the entire New Testament. And it was a real struggle for him. So he quotes here several passages. Some are from Isaiah. Some are from the book of Psalms uh, and other texts in the Old Testament. So he begins that in verse 9. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Verse 11. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. And again Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall, ri uh, shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. Verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So he teaches them to glorify God together. 
uh, as a church body, in other words, glorify him together. And obviously, uh, or at least it should be obviously, this is the job of the church. When we come together, uh, regardless of the situation, of the time, of the place, we should be here and we should glorify God together. We do that through worship. But our, our worship, if it's not glorifying God, then it's not really worship. It's probably more routine. And we've all been guilty of that to some degree or another because we're human. You know, we're not perfect. But when we come together, we should, the idea of church, of gathering on Sunday morning, on Wednesday morning or Wednesday night or whenever the case may be, tonight when we go to the Christmas concert, it, it should be that we are coming together and that we're putting everything else aside. It's almost like we, we take everything else and throw it out the front door of the church and we lock the doors from those things and for that time we glorify God together. If we go out into the community and do things, when we do Easter at Coolidge in front of the community, we are to glorify God together. And so this is what Paul is talking about. And them as a church in Rome, their job, their mission is to glorify God together as a, the, having that unity of the church and union in Christ. And he says, and he makes it a point to tell them and to remind them uh, to receive one another. In other words, to welcome one another into the fellowship. And he includes the fact that some are Gentiles. And I don't know this, but I wonder if the church at Rome would be more integrated with Gentiles than the typical churches, and certainly the church at Jerusalem and places like that. I, I don't know that, but it would make sense to me um, because Rome, of course, is the center of the world. And you would think that the population being greater uh, and things of that nature, that there would be more of a Gentile influence there. Uh, I, I don't know. But for whatever reason, Paul again reminds them to welcome one another, to receive one another, uh, and gives special attention to welcoming the Gentile. It, may, it leads me to think that the church leaders would be Jewish because that's where the church began. Uh, and the, but just, I don't know, it's that, that constant battle that I don't think we'll ever get, maybe until we get to heaven, uh, what a strong, what a, what an obstacle that was for them. Uh, it, it, I can see, even in the verse that we read this morning, in verse 12 from, <coughs> from Isaiah, he wrote, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. I can understand how the Jewish people that read that could misinterpret that if they didn't have the gospel. Uh, this reigning over, in other words, that the Messiah is going to come. And this was well taught in Judaism that when the Messiah came, that he would uh, lead this rebellion, if you will, or, or he would bring the Jew to the pinnacle of all of the races and they would rule over the, all the, the Gentiles. That was well taught in Judaism. And I can see even from this verse how that could be misinterpreted. But Paul says, no, no, that's not the case. We receive one another and we glorify God together. And in doing so, we should be filled with both joy and hope through the Spirit of God. Uh, very few things should fill us with joy and hope. And nothing save the cause of Christ should fill us with true joy and true hope, eternal joy and eternal hope. 
And this is what the church is all about. If you're, if you're a part of a church and you're not glorifying God and, it's not, and it doesn't give you joy and hope, you need to move. Go to a different church <laughs> because they're not teaching the gospel correctly. They're, they're, they're not feeling... I, and I don't care everything else that may be wrong, if there's not something in that church that fills you with joy and with hope uh, of your eternal destiny, then you need to leave. You need to go somewhere else and find that because this is what the church is about. So the next thing he does is he talks about uh, ministering from Jerusalem to... Illyricum. Illyricum. I couldn't spell it and I couldn't say it. So I had Billy look it up for me and help me. It looks like Illyricum or something to me. Uh, Illyricum, and this, uh, he looked it up for us, and, and he and Robin had found this, and it's a place up around Macedonia. And so Paul is talking here, and he expresses his confidence, and first he begins uh, in verse 14, and he expresses his confidence in the church at Rome. So he brags on them a little bit and talks about how he's heard of, now he's never been there, he's not had the privilege of visiting this church, but he's uh, associated with it, he knows the people there, uh, there's been correspondence, and he talks about how he hears of their reputation and how he hears about their faithfulness. And so he brags on them a little bit and, and talks about the confidence that he has in this church. Paul's excited about the church at Rome. Um, and, and he uh, he has a confidence in them uh, that he, and if you look in verse 15, he talks about how he uh, has written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given by uh, by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles ministering the gospel of God. He, he says, I'm more bold with you. And I think what he's saying there is because of your spiritual maturity, I, I go a little further with you and I express some things that to somebody else I may not share as much. And that's kind of this class here. As we grow together, there's things that I'll share and say in this, in this form that I won't say to a new believer. Why? Because they just can't handle it yet. And, and it requires some deeper spiritual thoughts, some spiritual maturity. And this is the church at Rome. Paul says that he, he, uh, uh, gives, he's more bold with them, and I believe because of their spiritual, spiritual maturity. And then again... He explains and even justifies this ministry to the Gentiles. Uh, he says, first of all, that it's, it's given uh, by grace of God. And, and I note here, he uses the term, he talks about God, he talks about Jesus Christ, he talks about the Holy Spirit of God. And I think, I believe that he's, he's inferring here the Trinity, the Holy Trinity. Uh, God is a... He doesn't say God the Father, but it can be applied that way, though it doesn't have to be in that original Greek word. But he talks about the grace that's given for his ministry to the Gentiles is given from God. He's given as a minister of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul can say that more, I guess, directly than any of us in this room because Paul had the face-to-face -face encounter as an apostle. Uh, he, on the road to Damascus, is confronted by Jesus Christ himself, has that, uh, that meeting and that calling, and so he can, he can write this with a surety. But, you know, we all can write this as ministers of Jesus Christ because we've taken part in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So he says that his ministry of the Gentiles is, is uh, given through grace that's given by God. He's sent as a minister of Jesus Christ, and then he's sanctified. What's the word sanctified mean? Set apart. Set apart. Very good. Yeah, so he's set apart to this ministry, to the Gentiles. Paul is called, and he is the apostle that is specifically called to spread the word, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the Gentiles. And so, and he's set apart, he, he has this through the Holy Spirit of God. And, and Paul, once he got hold of this, he was, I mean, he would not let it go. Uh, there, we've read and we've talked about the times when he had to even withstand Peter and some of the other apostles when uh, they were being led astray and, and trying to drift back into Judaism. And Paul says, no, 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 a thousand times no, the gospel is for all. And his ministry specifically is to take it to the Gentile uh, and to, to make disciples from them. And then Paul had already ministered uh, in and around Jerusalem to the Gentile. He talks about that as well, that his ministry had taken him. Uh, and he began in the area of Jerusalem and then ministered in that area that surrounds Jerusalem, winning the Gentile. And this is what causes Paul most of his problems. Now, had it not been this, it would have been something else because Satan's on the warpath. Uh, Jesus did not specifically minister to the Gentiles, though he did have some contact with them, and yet they put him to death, these same people, these same leaders. Uh, and Paul has ministered in and, in and around Jerusalem, and we'll see it here in just a little bit. That causes even more problems for him. So then he talks and moves on to, in verses 22 through 33, that his plan uh, to visit Spain and then Rome, and I, I've actually got that reversed. As I read on further, I found his plan was to go to Rome and then continue on to Spain. Not that that matters all that much, but that's what he was planning. But he says in that same breath, if you will, and he calls out and he asks for protection. Look in verse 30 of chapter 15, and, he's, and, and note this. Now I beg you, brethren through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. So he's not just saying, oh, by the way, uh, remember me in prayer. No, he, he's going further, isn't he? Uh, he he's saying, I'm begging you. I, I'm on my knees begging you that uh, you pray and that we, we strive together in this. Uh, get serious about prayer for this matter. And then he expresses the matter in verse 31. That I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and be refreshed. So he says, I've got to go to Jerusalem. And he gives the reason for that in the, in the verses that lead up to this. Uh, some, in, I think it was Macedonia, had, had put gifts together. I think he's transporting those to, to relieve the people in Jerusalem, the believers in Jerusalem, who are suffering at the time uh, under persecution and from these same people. And Paul's saying, I'm begging you, pray for me because I know it's dangerous. I know they're looking for me. I know they've got wanted posters or whatever. Uh, they want my head on a stick, if you will. Pray for me and I'll pray too and let's bind together and that's say God delivers me. So he, he, he 
talks to this church and he says, be earnest and, and just in this that God will deliver. Did God deliver him? That's the question. Did God deliver him once he got to Jerusalem? We know the history. Well, it's kind of a yes and a no, isn't it? They spared his life, but he's imprisoned. And he remains imprisoned for the rest of his ministry. And that begins in Jerusalem. In this trip that he's talking about as he goes towards Judea. So God answered the prayer, but not the way that Paul was asking. God has had his own plan. And uh, it, we've got to keep that in mind. We've got to remember that. Uh, and I believe that this church prayed. I believe that Paul prayed. But God has his own agenda and his own plan and his own will. And God allows Paul to go and to survive, but he's imprisoned for the rest of his ministry. And what happens, uh, you know, Paul is going all over the world. And he's, got these, he's got his next missionary journey all planned out. I'm going through Rome, I'm going to Spain, I'm, going, I'm taking these borders even further from what I've been. And God says, no, you're not. And you're going to be, you know, much of it was house arrest, but part of the time was in a Roman jail. And what does Paul accomplish while he's in jail, while he's in, under arrest? What does he do? Yeah, he begins to write more of these, the prison epistles we call them. How many souls would Paul have reached had he been allowed to go to Spain? We don't know. But would it have been as many as have been reached through the writing of the prison epistles? Not a chance. Not a chance. So God in his all-knowing wisdom answers the prayers in how they need to be answered. And there's nothing wrong with... Matt just prayed for us as we leave tomorrow to go to Honduras that we have a, a safe journey and, and everything goes well. And that's, and that's fine. That's how we should pray for one another. And, and I know, but if God has a different will to accomplish something different, then that's what needs to happen. And when that does happen, when those things do happen, we don't need to weep and wail and moan and question what's going on when he says, okay, God, whatever you're doing, you know, give us grace. Give us a backbone to endure it and, and, and make, it, make the gospel expand. And this is what Paul is doing. It's what he's praying, and, and it's what happens. Uh, I, there's no way Paul could have imagined what was in front of him when he writes this petition and asks for these prayers, and yet God, in his omnipotence and omniscience, has it all worked out? And, and I can't imagine the suffering of Paul the, the, uh, and the, 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 the things that must have gone in his mind. But for however long that lasted, ever since then, he's been where? To be absent from the body is to be present with? That's right. And now he understands. You know, all that, all that. And even Paul wrote, you know, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. He wrote, he wrote that in Romans chapter 8, didn't he? So we need to keep those things in mind when things don't go as how we pray. And then he talks about, the, then there's some greetings and acknowledgments that begin in chapter 16, verses 1 through 16. Uh, and there's a lot of them. And you can read them for yourself. <laughs> That's all you get. 
That, that, I mean, there's a couple of, of ones that, but I do, I, I mean that to be a little comical, but I, I, I do want you to go back and to look at those. And this would be a fascinating study to, to go, and you, it would be an extra biblical study, but try to read some of the history of the church post-apostles. There, there are some characters and there, there's some uh, polycarp and some different leaders of those churches who were not apostles, but who were led by the apostles. And then as the, the apostles were executed, they took the reins. They took over. And they carried forth. And um, there, there's one mention here uh, in verse 4. Who uh, He talks about Priscilla and Aquila, his fellow workers. And they risked their own necks for my life, Paul says. To whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. So, you know, in other words, Paul says, had it not been for them, where would we be? Gentiles? We may not be in this room. See, we stand on their shoulders. And so rather than me sit here and just try to ramble through these names in five minutes, go back and, and try to find some information. Maybe not these names specifically, but this church at Rome. Uh, Polycarp and the others, those who, who led the charge for the, uh, the, the church after the apostles went away. Uh, and there, there's several that are mentioned here for different reasons. The first one's mentioned in verse 1, Phoebe. Uh, the first one mentioned is, a, uh, and I thought this was interesting because you hear so much from the, the non-church world about how women are degraded in the Bible and looked down upon. Or this. The first one he mentioned is a, is a woman, Phoebe. And he commends her for what she's done. He says, and she's been a helper to me and many, many others. He said, commend her. In other words, lift her up, church. Acknowledge her in all the work that she has done. See, first one, first name he mentions. They, they tend to miss those things in the Bible when they ridicule. Uh, nonetheless, moving on. Then he gives this last note. And again, I, I told you that always the teacher's life. This is, for me, uh, this is like a, Oh yeah, let me tell you one more thing. Let me give you one more warning. And this begins in verse 17. And I want to read these, 17 through 20. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause division and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become uh, known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So now last, I think it was last week, we talked about the simple and, and some things that arise from uh, the immature brother or sister who is... They have a zeal for God, but they take things, and we talked about the eating of meat and this, the things that he mentioned. And basically what Paul said was, was don't let that distract you from what's important. If they're struggling with that, don't lay a stumbling block in front of them. That's a material thing. Just let it go and focus on the spiritual. Uh, and the, the insinuation there was that as they grow and as they mature, then the Spirit will lead them into better wisdom. 
Uh, and we, we spent a lot of time speaking on that. And this is, not, this is a different group that he's talking about here. This is a divisive group. This, uh, uh, he says, note those who call. This is the first thing he says to do with them is note them. In other words, don't ignore it. If somebody's here causing division, and that's their intent, that's what they're doing. And then he's talking about especially major doctrine here. Those who are just here to tear apart, especially when it comes to truth, note them. Pick them out. Don't, don't just ignore it. Don't try to be polite about it. It's not okay. Make note of them. He said, then realize that they're not here to serve Christ. And again, he's not talking about the minor things. He's not talking about this and that and the other. Now, some will take a minor issue and try to cause enough trouble to cause division and eventually split a church or, or do harm enough to, to just cause damage. But realize that that's what they're doing. They're not here. They're not doing this for Christ. They're doing this for their, their own edification to build themselves up. So note them, realize their motive. And then he says to be wise concerning how you deal with them. So again, with, with the, the, the weaker brother, that, that immature brother, it was patience, it was uh, avoiding the stumbling blocks and, and allowing them to grow. Here, the, this, this is not the insinuation at all. Paul says deal with them. And honestly, I think the best thing to do is run them off. Just get out of here. If that's what you want to do, just go. And, and, I've, and I've seen pastors have to do this. Oh, and man, that seems so contrary, doesn't it? Because we're always taught to love, 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 hug, hug, hug. Everything's wonderful, yada, yada, yada. And, and that's the case most of the time. But, but if somebody is here and they are uh, just here to cause division, to stir up strife, and, and, and to, to edit self, self-edification, just get rid of them. Run them off. Don't ignore it. Pick them out. And do what needs to be done. And then he gives his comfort. He says, just be patient uh, because in time, God's going to crush Satan. <laughs> That's what it's all about. I love how he ends with that. He says, there's going to, in other words, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be people that cause division. Were there people that caused division in the churches in Paul's day? Yes. Yeah, we, we've talked about them. And in fact, I just mentioned the reason that that. Paul had to withstand Peter over the, the circumcision matter. It was, it was not Peter's idea. There were some there who were simply there to call division, and, and they led Peter back into this. They tried to pull Peter back into this, and John, I think, into this, this idea of including circumcision. And Paul withstood him and said, no. Now, he did, honestly, he, did, he doesn't, he didn't, he withstood Peter, but it, I, those other people were never mentioned again. And the, the idea, I think, or this insinuation is that they were, they were done away with, just run off. And I think this is how we're supposed to handle it. He says that we're to, to note them. Uh, not just ignore them. Don't just let things go. If you're noting them, you're, basically you're labeling them. This is a troublemaker. This person here in this church, this is what they do. They cause trouble. Uh, my brother-in-law, as I've told you, is a pastor out in Las Vegas. Las Vegas, And uh, he started as a very, very young pastor. And even then, there were times when he had to just deal with people. And I've been so impressed at how he did it. 
Oh, uh, and, and even today, in recent days, he's had to deal with people in the church that wanted to do nothing but cause division and tear apart the work of Christ. And those things, you do not ignore them, you deal with them. And, and there's a way and, and a, 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 a procedure to do those things, but it's not, we're not to just ignore it in the name of being loving. Okay? Uh, that's, that's not the idea here. But Chris, wouldn't you think that as part of the way and the method to do it, part of that needs to be leadership mm -hmm. in the church? Well, absolutely. Because, you know, lay people can't just read this and say, oh, well, I've decided that, you know, that person over there is a troublemaker. I'm going to get rid of them. I agree wholeheartedly with that. But but I also think a lay person can, can early on before the problem grows, go to leadership and say, look, this person is saying these things or coming to me or drawing these others away and this is how they're doing it. Uh, it's so much better to go early than late. Uh, and then that person can be approached and given an opportunity to say, you know what, I, I was wrong. They, maybe they just were stupid uh, or, or had a, you know, had a bad, maybe they ate a bad omelet, I don't know. Uh, we all can do dumb things, right? I've done it. I, I said something. Well, I was. I, I said something about a. He wasn't the pastor. He was like the second man in the church, the head deacon. I don't remember what we called him. I said something foolish, and I was a young guy, and man, it, God just wouldn't let me go. And until I went to that man and called him, and I wept and said, "I said this about you," and and he laughed and said, "You know, we thought," and he hugged my neck, and, and he was gracious. That's not we're that's not what we're talking about. And it, the situation, and it may be that, but it's so good to go early into it because if somebody is there to cause division, it's going to be obvious. They're going to rear their head. They're going to, they're going to continue in behavior. Uh, and, it's, and, it, and again, note the difference here. This, this is what the difference is, and this is so important. Um, verse 18, for those who are such, in other words, these divisive people we're talking about, they do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. The person who is there to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, even when they're wrong, will put that first. That, that will be their priority. And those who are there to cause division, it'll, it'll become apparent. That it'll be revealed. That's why the Bible tells us to test the spirits and try the spirits. See, And this is what it's talking about. So Paul is just warning, and again, this is, this is just before he concludes the epistle. Oh yeah, be, watch out for these people because they're out there. Uh, and, and, we, and we know that they were out there because I think it was in Jude, I'm sorry, in 2 Peter where he writes to, to be alert because people are about to sneak in unawares and they're going to spread false doctrine, be, be alerted. And then in Jude, he writes and says they're here. Point them out and get rid of them. And so all through it, it's not just Paul that writes this, but all the, the apostles that write to these churches say these people exist and they're out there and they're and they're going to do, they're going to organize and they're going to cause derision. We saw this in the ministry of Christ. They organized people who would follow Christ literally. Follow Christ around, and when he taught, they would come in behind Jesus and try to tear down everything that was done. 
Can you think of any reason why Satan would stop that method that's so effective? Well, of course not. He's going to continue it. And so we as a church, too, should be aware of this uh, and should be willing to confront. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Good enough. Enough on that. Conclusion. Uh, he, he does conclude here. Uh, anybody ever seen the picture of Paul writing, you know, and he's got the candle and the quill pen and he's in the prison cell? Well, don't read verse 22 then. <laughs> Where it says, I, Tertullus or something, who wrote the epistle, greet you in the, in the Lord. So I, I think more times than not, Paul is dictating. He's, he's, others are actually writing with the pen. And that's why sometimes we read where Paul says, you can see, I wrote this part with my own hand because the letters are so big. He had eyesight problem. I can identify. Uh, yeah. And, and so, uh, the, and it seems here that uh, whoever this guy is that's doing most of the pen work, uh, he kind of inserts some stuff on his own. I don't know if he asked Paul or not, but he, he wanted to say hello to some people. So he wrote some names down there and said, I'm the one that's, that writing, that's writing this. So, uh, so we've been through the entire book. When we started, we began in Romans chapter 1 and uh, verse 1 all the way through chapter 3 and verse 20. And the first thing that Paul did is he talked about sin. It's degradation and it's curse on mankind. And of course, Romans chapter 1 is that, that ultimate chapter that shows the decline of sin as it, as it continues on if the gospel is not uh, brought and how uh, mankind will just go deeper and deeper and deeper into sin uh, and confusion. Uh, next, in, uh, beginning in Romans chapter 3 and verse 21, all the way through verse 8 and 39 now, Paul gives the gospel. Uh, and this is why uh, many people talk about the book of Romans as being Paul's gospel because of this section here. Magnificent, and really uh, all the way from verse 1 of chapter 1 through this, you could say, his, his uh, giving of the gospel. A masterful, masterful work on the gospel. And, and really, I guess, if I had to wager, I would say that the book of Romans has been used more in soul winning than any other book in the Bible. The Romans Road definitely is a tremendous, tremendous tool. It's just so plain spoken. Paul just spells it out. And, and maybe it's because we're Gentile also, and uh, man, he writes, you know, for the Gentile. So the gospel is given, and it talks about the grace and redemption given through the Lord Jesus Christ, obviously. Well, following that, beginning in chapter 9, he talks about Israel. And he spends a couple of chapters here on nothing but Israel. And if you don't catch this, it can be confusing. Uh, now, it's hard to miss because he, he, he outright talks about Israel over and over and over again in these, ver in these chapters. But he's talking about their need and their rejection for the, for the Messiah. And, of course, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul just basically spells it out how Israel had such a great need and still had that need because of their rejection. Uh, and his heart longed for him. Paul is called to the Gentile, but his heart is also for the Jew. And it, which is Paul? Is he, is he Jew or Gentile? It's a trick question. He's really both, isn't he? Yeah, that's right, Tom. He, he, he is Jewish, but he also has Roman citizenship. 
And so he is unique. And he, he now he's he's also Jew because he's Pharisee, right? He was trained as a Pharisee. He was their superstar. He was the up and coming guy, you know, before he got saved. And so deep, deep into Judaism, but he enjoyed the Roman citizenship also because because of his father. So his heart is broken for Israel, and he just for these these chapters he goes on and on and on about how he longs for them, how he wishes they could just see. He would almost give up his own salvation for them to come to know Christ as the nation, and so he longs for them to realize their need and their rejection of the Messiah. And then we saw in Romans chapter twelve uh, through fifteen uh, this the church. And basically he deals here with two things, how the church, how we as the church should think and also how we should behave. And so there's a great guide here for those who have already received the gospel, what you're supposed to be doing. If you get, ever get sidetracked and wonder, okay, what am I supposed to do as a church member? Well, go right here. Reread these chapters, chapter 12 through um, chapter 15, verse 13. It's kind of an instruction manual. Start with the Great Commission and then come right here and read. What am I supposed to be doing as a church member? And then following that, of course, we have our conclusion. And these are Paul's final words to the church. Now, I don't mean his final words before he dies, uh, but the final words of the the epistle as he closes it out to the church specifically at Rome. Uh, the, the, the Chapter 12 through, uh, that should be chapter 15, 13 there, and not 5. Sorry about that. Uh, the, the church in general, in other words, this is how all, all churches should behave. And then these final, this final portion, chapter 15, verse 14, through the end of the book, uh, in his conclusion, he's specifically writing to the church at Rome uh, and giving them instruction and a warning again about the divisive people. Any questions on any of that? Man, what a teacher I must be. <laughs> I am something else. No, no, no. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed going through the book of Romans with you. I've enjoyed the discussion, the questions, the, um, the, the feedback that we've had, and just, and just going back through. Now, looking ahead, as uh, Matt mentioned next week, um, uh, Billy will be teaching. I don't know what he's going to cover, but he's, he's going to have just one Sunday. Then there's two Sundays that there is no Sunday school class. Those on the 24th and the 31st. We come back on the 7th of January. And when we come back on the 7th of January, one of two things is going to happen. Either we're going to have our Q&A day, if I get more questions, or we're going to begin the book of Ruth. So, between now and then, study in the book of Ruth. I'm excited about this study. Uh, I love the book of Ruth. It's, it's one of those that's written... More as a, it's in story form. You know, it's almost like you're not even reading a Bible chapter or, or book because it's such a, a story narrative. It's a lot of fun to read, though it's full of biblical truth as well. It's a scripture ordained by God. And as I promised before, ladies, I promise you, I'm going to do my best to not suck the romance out of this book. <laughs> that's hard for me, but I'm going to do, that's my vow. I'm going to do my best to leave the romance in it. Uh, and and that, no, there, there's a lot of great romance in this book, it, and, and I'm talking about good romance, son. So I'm excited about it, uh, and I hope you are too. So uh, be preparing for that book when you come back.
Get out of here. I love you. If I don't see you, Merry Christmas. <laughs>